Life is always fair. I really enjoy repeating myself over and over again. I just love when the kids talk back to me. I don't care if you get a job this summer. I don't care if you get detention. Uh, I, I can't open this jar. See if mom can open it. Just take your time in there, okay? No means maybe. Hey, why don't you bring that ball inside and play with it? Hey, don't put that back where you found it. Just leave it on the floor. Ew, bacon. If you put a dent in the car, it's really no big deal. It's 10 a.m. Go back to bed. Look, whatever your friends are doing, just do the exact same thing. I got more than enough sleep last night. If your friends are okay with it, then I'm okay with it. Stop signs are just a suggestion. You don't need a chaperone. You don't need a seatbelt. You don't need a savings account. You should buy the jeans with the holes in them. Hey, we're all gonna go to church, but you can just sleep in, okay? Can we please just hang out in here for another 10 minutes? Hey, can we get some more bickering back there? All right, bills. Yay, traffic. Woohoo, taxes. Yes, laundry. Hey, can you kids come in here and jump on my bed? Quick, go tell mom what happened right away. You don't need to finish your dinner. Hey, look at your phone when I'm talking to you. I wish I had a smaller TV. We got you that phone for a reason, texting boys. All right, everyone, listen up. Mom and I are going out of town this weekend, so please mess up the whole house while we're gone. Please throw a few parties while we're gone. Please forget about the dog entirely while we're gone. Hey, when you're finished pouring that, can you just leave it out on the counter all day? Thanks. Hey, what are you doing? I'm gonna bungee jump out of this tree. That's a really good idea. Oh, good morning, everybody, and welcome and happy Father's Day to not just the dads in the room, but the father figures. All of the men here we are celebrating today, and it's going to be a great day. I have seen that video clip about 25,000 times this week, and I laughed the hardest. I've laughed right now, I think, because it gets funnier as you watch it, because there are so many things that dads never say, or we feel like we have to repeat every single day. So if you're a dad, we salute you today. If you're a father figure, right? If you're a guy who's making a difference in this world, especially in the name of Jesus Christ, we salute you today. And we have pulled out all the stops. We had a car show last night uh, here to uh, have some fun and to celebrate and to give thanks. Here today, we just went and took it up a notch. We got biscuits and gravy across the hall, ladies and gentlemen, if you're here in person. So there you go. I'm sorry if you're watching online today. I have no idea how to send biscuits and gravy through the internet to you. But you can celebrate in your own way. And today is a day of celebration. Although at the end of that clip, I do not understand why the last part is in there. I think it's perfectly okay to bungee jump out of a tree. But whatever. That's my parenting style. We'll talk about that later. So uh, I'm sure my wife will have comments on that. We are here today to celebrate and to give God praise for some incredible men. And uh, I've been the men's ministry director here uh, for the last four years now, actually it's been, and we just love to celebrate. We got the biscuits and gravy. We got the male version of a carnation out here today. I just want to let you know, I put in a request to buy pocket knives for every dude in the congregation. It got denied. So you're stuck with stickers. So if you didn't get your Man of Hope sticker, they're right out there in the atrium uh, and grab them before they're gone because I think we're going to run out, like, uh, which is a good thing. We're, we're excited about that. But, uh, and don't tell people at 11 o'clock, but you can get your sticker today. We're here to celebrate because there's so much. And this is what I want to say today uh, on the note of Father's Day. I want to say thank you to all the men in this congregation for all the ways, all the ways that you show up. You show up when this world needs you, when your family needs you, when the people that love you need you. We're not, we're not saying that anybody's perfect in this room. I will be the first to admit, I am, 
I am not the perfect parent or husband or guy. But God loves us. And this is what we're going to talk about today. God has big plans for us anyway. And so we celebrate that today. God, uh, guys, thank you for all the ways that you take a stand and you fight for what matters most in life. And on that note, I'm going to do the thing that every guy hates that when a pastor does it. I'm going to ask all the men in this room to stand right now, actually. Go ahead and guys, if you would stand, let me tell you this. You are worth celebrating. Yes. Yes. And if you're online, watching online, you can stand as well. I just want to pray a quick prayer of blessing over you. God, we say thank you for these men. We say thank you for their courage and their stamina. God, we say thank you for their strength. And we say thank you for all the ways that they use that uh, to bless this world. God, we know that you have the heart of a father. And that means incredible love. God, thank you for all the ways. And help these men to get even better. God, at not just seeing the work that you're doing in them, but God, the work that you want to do through them to this world around them. And so God, we say thank you for these men. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, guys, it's over. You can have a seat now. Sorry, thank you for doing that. So let's give God praise one more time. One more time. Awesome. So we're here to celebrate. Right? We're here to say thank you to God for all the gifts that he gives us in, in so many different ways. That's what worship is, actually. That's why we gather every week. It's because we have so many reasons uh, to celebrate. And yet, one of the other reasons why we celebrate dads, right? Part of one of the things that dads do, moms do it too, right? Is they protect us. They provide for us. And it's in that protection and provision at times we remember, right? That this world is not perfect. That we need someone to come along and to lead us and to guide us to parent us, to show us the way. Because this world can be challenging. And as I have been taking all this in this week and a few different things that have happened to me and some things that I've learned, one of the conclusions that I've come to this week, I'm going to put it right up here on the screen, is that we live in a world that makes us want to scream. Now maybe those are my words. Maybe you would view the world differently these days. It depends upon the day or the week, the month, or even the year that you're having. But I'm just telling you as I started thinking about this, and it's probably a good way to sum up, right? The reality of the world that we live in is just when we think we have it all figured out, things change. Just when things seem like they're going really well, challenges can come. And one of our responses in this moment can be uh, to just get frustrated and just say, God, what, what is going on here, right? What am I going to do? And the result is, right, we live in a world that makes us want to scream, if you're a parent, I guarantee you, you've had a moment, especially if you're a parent of a small child, probably even today or in the last week, you've had a moment that just makes you want to scream, right? We're trying to move right now, and I'm just telling you, moving with little children, I mean, my youngest is six, so he's not even that little anymore. I have repacked so many things that I packed this week, right? I have recleaned so many things that I've already cleaned, and I just look at this, and it just makes me want to scream. But of course, it goes so much deeper than that. I think about the conversations that I've had this week with uh, probably close to a dozen men, right? But three specifically come to mind. Three guys that I talked to this week that are having, and I don't think this is overstating it, they're having their worlds torn apart by Alzheimer's, right? It's nasty stuff. And you don't even see half of it on the surface. And but as you talk to people and as you listen to their stories, and I sat down with one guy this week, Right, who's battling cancer and Alzheimer's at the same time. 
And so his family is in this difficult position where they have to decide, or which one of these are we going to treat? How, how are we going to do this? And as you work on one, the other one shows new challenges, and it just goes back and forth, right? And we have these moments in our lives where it just feels overwhelming. And it's so hard to put it in, into words. And then, and then I realized that I had been very ignorant on an issue for a long time, and I just, I just thought about myself, and I kind of wanted to start to scream. And it's, it's this holiday that is now a federal holiday, Juneteenth. And I'm just going to stand up here. I think this sermon series that we're in right now, our favorite Bible story, one of the things all the preachers have talked about is it's brought up things that we don't want to talk about. <laughs> And one of the things that I want to admit to you today is I didn't know, that I'd never probably even encountered that word, at least I never noticed it, until a year ago. And even a week ago, I couldn't have really told you what it meant. Right? And you want to talk about an example of the ways that this world just will drive you to the point of frustration where you just want to scream. Right? I, I heard this story of why we're celebrating this day, but the tension that comes with it, like it's a great reason to celebrate, Right? Slaves being freed, pretty dang good reason to celebrate. But even in the midst of that, this world just loves to take the great stuff that we celebrate and it just loves to color it in a way, right, that I just, it just drives me crazy. Right, when you understand this whole story, right, is that the slaves have been set free and Pastor Michael from our Elam campus said it in the Hope 360. Two years went by and many of these people still had not been freed. Right? They were free. The truth, if you looked at it, would tell them that they were free people. And to this day, right, we still have to acknowledge that there were people in this world that felt like they wouldn't let go. That they wanted to do evil in the sight of that. And so in the midst of this, as I'm looking at this and I'm just sitting here and realizing... I still don't know. And right, we're, we're always going to continue to experience ways that we can continue to grow in our understanding of the world and what this fight for justice for all, right? This, this vision and this dream that God has for us, this, this, this image, right? This, this reality of heaven, if you will, right? There is no slavery in heaven. There's no sickness crying, none of those things, right? And what you realize as you're in this world is that, that this is our hearts are longing for heaven to come to earth and as we live in that tension where we sit and we look at the world and we long for heaven to come to earth well these questions begin to show up for us right questions like psalm 13 and this is why i love the psalms god gives us the words right when we're hurt and we're frustrated and we just want to scream right this is what he says he says oh lord how long will you forget me right david is writing these words he's being attacked he's being hunted right by an enemy and he says, God, when are you going to show up? When are you going to do something about this? And that is a really great question. And if you're here today and you're asking that question, you're saying, God, when are you going to take care of fill in the blank with whatever it is? Whether it's something little, like you're just trying to find a way to survive and get through an entire day with your kids without getting beyond frustrated with them, which as a dad is a reality for me sometimes. Or you're looking at something as big as systemic racism and the brokenness of this world and you're saying, what can I possibly do about that? Right? If you're asking any of those questions, say you are in the right place because my favorite Bible story, I believe, is an answer to this question. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're in the series. We're wrapping it up today. My favorite Bible story and why. And it's been awesome. It's been awesome to get to know. I would encourage you all to, as you think today, maybe get a couple minutes What's your favorite Bible story? Think about it. It is a hard question to answer. 
So we're going to talk about Acts chapter 3, uh, the first 11 verses. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But before we get to that, for you to really, I think, sink your teeth into this story, I want to just set the stage with a couple other things that really make sense in terms of the context and, and what this means for us uh, and the ways that we live our lives. So one of the questions that people often ask me, right, the Bible you get this Bible, people will take Alpha, they'll be new to the church, they maybe decided that they want to believe in Jesus, they want to follow, they felt God's love and they're excited about it and they'll come and they'll say, Pastor Andy, how do I, how do I read this book? How do, I, how do I feel the way that I feel when I worship God on the weekends? How do I feel that when I read this Bible throughout uh, the week? How do, I, how do I see myself in this? And I will tell you, one of the best things that I, someone ever taught me was the fact that this story, beginning from the very uh, first page, this book, from the first page to the last, is one big story. Okay, it doesn't feel like that when you read it sometimes because it's 66 different books with a whole bunch of different authors coming from different parts of the world and different centuries, right? So it, it can feel a little disjointed, but what I want you to know today is this is one book. It's one book and more importantly somebody showed me that you can take this one book and you can put it into these four acts. Not the book of acts, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But these four movements, these, these four pieces of the story. And what's cool about it when you look at it like this, this plot line, right? More or less the plot line that you see there in those four words, those four acts of the story, right? You realize that they show up in every story that we love. And so one of the things you learn as you look at the Bible, as you, as you grow in your understanding of it, is that every story that we love absolutely draws its strength and its power and its allure because it's our story. Because it's God's story. Because it's a story that matters. So let me just show you a little bit of this here. So, so in the beginning, right, book of Genesis, if you read that, you know that things were pretty good, right? God created the world. That's every fairy tale that I've read my kids. Like, things were awesome right it's cool but then something happens and so in the bible we see act one adam and eve created in the garden act two adam and eve are uh, tempted by the tempter our enemy right and they fall into sin and one of the best pictures i used to do student ministry here and i remember one time somebody doing a devotion or a teaching on this and they talked about what we lost when sin entered the world and they had a student stand up and look into a, a you know just a little handheld mirror Right? And then they took a hammer as that student was looking at it and they punched the mirror and shattered it. It all stayed together because it was all protected. But when you looked in that mirror, you didn't see yourself the same way anymore. You didn't see anything the same way through that mirror. Right? And that is what we have lost in rebellion. That's what happened when our parents, right, Adam and Eve, when they decided to go a different way than what God wanted for their life. And so creation and rebellion are the beginning of the Bible. And God knew about all of this. He, he knows that this is going to happen. And in this moment between Act 2, Rebellion, and Act 3, Rescue, God has a decision to make. Is he going to come and is he going to rescue? And not only is he going to come and rescue us, but is he going to restore us? And I want to tell you today that this is God's story. And so there is a promise that there is going to be a day when the world isn't going to want to make us scream anymore. Right? It's going to be the most boring thing in the world. There won't be funerals. It won't be boring because we're going to be in heaven. Right? God will be with us and we'll be uh, fully formed. There'll be no more weeping, crying, pain, tears. Revelation tells us all about that. But we have to get there first. And one of the first steps there was between rebellion and rescue. God had to make a decision. And if you just ever wonder if God loves you, I just want to put this verse in front of you and let this sink in today. Right? God had this decision to make, and here's the answer to the question. Did God decide to rescue us? And how did he decide that? Right? Even before he made the world. 
Think about that. God knew you before he created you. He knew who you are. He knew what you were made of. He knew what you would do. And he chose you. He chose you. He loved us. He chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us, right? I love that idea that before there was time, God adopted us into his family. And so what that does is launch Act 3, the rescue plan, right? And so we have rescue as act number three. Now everybody thinks, right, well, Jesus, Jesus is the rescue plan. And yes, yes, that's true. Jesus is always the answer, right? That's what I learned in Sunday school. Jesus is always the answer, right? But it doesn't begin there. In the Garden of Eden, in fact, just a verse after Adam and Eve fall, after sin enters the world, right then, God gets to work. Because you see, sometimes the pain of this world, the rebellion can come to us and it can be overwhelming, right? It can be paralyzing. We can get stuck. We can get overwhelmed. How on earth can I make a difference? And sometimes we put that onto God. We think God is just constantly reacting to things and he's trying to figure it out. No, the reality is that God knew in advance. And God was on a move. He was on it immediately. God sees what you're going through and I guarantee you today, he is at work The challenge is we have this humanity between us and God. And it's kind of hard to see from time to time. So in the garden, Adam and Eve, right after they've fallen, God shows up and he has this question, where are you? They're hiding. They're naked. They know it. There's shame. Right? The world is completely different. The mirror has been broken. It's a completely different world they're living in now. And God walks into that. And do do you hear the love, the pursuit in that question? Where are you? Right? Of course he knows the answer, but he's trying to draw them in. And God's going to continue on that rescue mission. Right? He's going to continue to send judges and kings and prophets. Right? And eventually even that's not going to work to try and win his people back and restore the world. And so eventually he's going to have to send Jesus. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Right? I love the way the message translates, talk about, uh, translation talks about John chapter 1. Then, then God put on flesh right, and moved into the neighborhood. He came to be with us. And Jesus launches into a whole new level of a rescue plan, right? One of my favorite stories as well is John chapter 11 when uh, Moses, or sorry, Jesus' friend, right? Lazarus is sick and Jesus doesn't just come and say, oh, it's going to be okay and then walk away. No, he, he raises him from the dead, And this is really important, I think, when we understand, right, Jesus says that his mission is to come and to seek and save the lost. Other translations say it like this, that Jesus' mission, as he said, was to to seek and save what was lost. And that's us, right? That's not just our behavior, that's our whole being, and that is our hearts. And so as he comes, I think it's so important for us to understand Jesus' mission wasn't just to make us into nice Christians, Right? Jesus' mission was to redeem the world. Not just so we can go to heaven someday, but honestly, I quite see it differently. I believe that eternity begins now. Right? Jesus' mission was, was to redeem and to restore us. And what that means is that heaven comes to earth. Jesus' mission was to bring heaven to earth. And you see that happen when Jesus wrecks a perfectly good funeral. Right? There are no dead people in heaven. So Jesus brings heaven to earth. And here's the craziest part about this whole thing. And I think it's going to set up Acts chapter 3 for us. 
Jesus starts teaching some other crazy things to his disciples. Some things, frankly, that I would find overwhelming. So let's put a couple of these verses up here on the screen. Jesus goes to his disciples one day, right? And they've seen him do some miracles. And he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done. And even greater works because I am going to the Father. Now hold on. Jesus says, and he's talking to you and I, by the way, right? Because we're disciples. He says that you and I are going to do greater works. Are you kidding me? Hey, let's just take a quick poll out here. Has anybody raised anybody from the dead recently? Right? Anybody? No. Here's my favorite. Has anybody changed water into wine? Because I will come hang out with you. I think that sounds awesome. Right? That is not our experience. So what does Jesus mean when he says that we're going to do greater works? We'll do the same works and even greater works. I think he means that we're going to make a difference. Right? That we're going to continue to, to expand. That there is work. There is, there is something that we get to be a part of here on this planet. Let's go to the next verse. He says in John chapter 20. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And in Matthew 28, he's going to say something very similar. He's going to say, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Right? Not just where you are, but make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And part of making disciples is not just teaching them head knowledge. Teaching them what the Bible says. But helping people understand and experience that heaven has come to earth. Right? We just prayed this in the Lord's Prayer a little bit ago. Right? What is God's dream? What is God's hope? That on earth. Right? God's will will be done on earth. As it is in heaven. This is not just a fancy prayer that somebody thought up a long time ago. This is what we're in for. Right? This is the story that you and I get to live. And the adventure that you and I get to be a part of. And he doesn't stop there. He's going to say in Acts chapter 1. That you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of earth. And three of those are concentric circles. Except... Samaria. So he's saying you're going to start small and you're going to get bigger, right? It's going to start in Jerusalem, it's going to go bigger. Except Samaria are these people off to the side that the Jews can't stand. And so even the people that you don't like, God's going to give you the opportunity to bring heaven down here to earth. Now I read these verses and I think about this sometimes and sometimes reality really sets in and I just think, God, what are you thinking? Right? You're telling me your rescue plan. You were writing this beautiful story and it had creation and rebellion. Right? And now it has rescue. And God, you've been doing amazing things. But now all of a sudden, you're going to give me the pen or the pencil or the paintbrush to keep writing this story. Right? If this is a relay, you're going to hand me the baton through the Holy Spirit to take it and to keep running? God, do you honestly believe that I can bring heaven to earth? I think it's a good question. And I think Acts chapter 3 is going to show us this. In fact, this is something that's ingrained in our DNA as a church. God's given us this vision statement. We talked about this. came up uh, just a little over a year ago. A year, year and a half ago now. And this is what we believe God's called us to do. To be powered by the Spirit. Right? The dreams that God has for us. And I don't mean like us as an entire church when we come together. That, 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 that is half of it. The other half is when the church scatters every week. Right? When you go to your cubicle or your home or your carpool or your neighborhood. Right? We believe that God's called you to be powered by the Spirit there. We believe that God's invited you and equipped you 
right, to bring Christ to all cultures. That, that God wants to. He's not just, you know, you're not like the JV squad like I was in basketball, right? You're not the JV squad. You are the varsity squad and God believes and wants to use you, right, to revive the world with God's love and make heaven more crowded wherever you find yourself. And we hear all this and we think, God, is this even possible? Right? Is it true that you would use an everyday, ordinary person like me to make a difference in this world? God, and not just to make a difference, but to bring heaven to earth. The answer is yes. The answer is yes, that God believes in that. And that's why we're going to look at Acts chapter 3. That was a lot of setting it up, but I think it's so important that you understand what's going on and what's actually happening in this story. This is why it's one of my favorites. All right, this is what it says, Acts chapter 3, first verse, Peter and John. And by the way, this is the Peter, this is the Peter who screwed up royally multiple times in the Bible, right? Just a little pro tip for you, if you're just starting a new job, if the boss ever comes to you and says, get behind me, Satan, you're probably, your job's not going very well, okay? I just want you to know that, right? And it, Peter's trying to run the show and he's not in charge, right? He's not doing well. Here's another pro tip, if you want to be a really good friend to somebody and they really need you, like maybe they're being crucified or you know, turned over to the authorities unjustly, maybe you shouldn't abandon them. And then when they ask if you know him, maybe you shouldn't deny him, especially after you promised to his face that you would never deny him. Maybe you shouldn't do that, right? That's who Peter is. Peter's like every single one of us and make mistakes. When Jesus has been crucified, right? After Jesus told him so many times all these things are going to happen. Where does, where does Peter go when it all goes down? Well, we know in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has to come back to them from heaven because they're hiding in a room with doors locked. Even after they've seen it all with their own eyes, they still don't believe the story. That is the Peter. And he's going to screw up again a little bit later here in the book of Acts. He is not perfect. What I want you to understand today is you do not have to be perfect to be used by God to bring heaven to earth. All you have to do is show up and ask God for help. This is what happens. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service so they're on their way to church two guys went to church i feel like that's the beginning of a dad joke but i'm not going to go there today okay they're going to church and as they approached the temple a man lame from birth was being carried in each day he was put beside the temple gate one called the beautiful gate just giving you some geography there there's some cool stuff you google it you can see this temple this church is really it's a beautiful building and they're just saying he's out on the front steps He's there, it says, so he could beg from the people going up the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he did what he wanted to do. He did what was his own self-rescue plan to get through life as a crippled man. He asked them for some money. And right here again, just as God, between Acts 2 and 3, had a choice to make, right? Peter and John, they have a choice to make as well. And it's a choice that you and I have every single day. When we see a need in this world... When you and I, we see the thing that makes us want to scream, right, in this world, we have a choice. If you're walking to church and you see a need, you have a choice. You can, you can stop and you can meet that need or you can just keep walking on by, right? When you are at work and you hear someone say something in passing, right? And half of us maybe are still working from home and so it's like a chat. You see some chat thing and it's like, you see a post on Facebook, you wonder, you hear somebody talking about something, whatever, it's like, oh, that sounds kind of hard. I wonder how they're, right? We see needs all the time. Question is, do we keep walking by or do we do what Peter and John did? Because it says in verse 4, Peter and John looked at him intently. So they stop 
And Peter says to him, look at us. Now, I kind of want to put the word please in there so he's not a total jerk. Like, hey, look at us. Look at me. No, he's not saying that. I think he's saying, hey, up here, up here, right, to initiate the conversation. The lame man looked at them eagerly, verse 5, expecting some money. His whole world, this lame man, this crippled man, his whole world has had him in a posture of need. And he has found one way to survive. It turns out it's not what Peter and John have. They have something better. This is what it says, verse 6. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. I don't have any of that for you, but I'll give you what I do have. And he goes on to say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That Nazareth used to be a put down, right? It used to be a small little podunk town that didn't mean anything. It was the laughing stock, right? Oh, you're from Nazareth? Wow. Nobody was impressed by that. Now, as Peter uses that word, Jesus, well, those words, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, those words have authority. Those words have power. Right? Peter has those words available to him. And then he moves on. And it says, verse 7, He took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up. He stood on his feet and he began to walk. And then he's like, okay, this is cool. Right? But I love the way that this goes on. And I can just envision this whole scene. Then walking and leaping. Right? I'm pretty sure he did one of those heel clicker things that they did like Mary Poppins. I cannot do. I'm not going to try it today. Right? Like this guy's having... A ball. Because he's found something new. His whole world has been reunited. All because Peter and John did not walk by when they saw the need. They stopped. And they met it. Here's the questions that this gets me thinking about here. What do you have? What do you have? What, honestly, what has God given you to bring heaven to earth. I'm telling you the answer is something. Don't let your brain try and discredit it right now. This book tells me that all of us have something. And by the way, if you wonder what your spiritual gift is, that's a great place to start. You have something that is normal and easy for you that is abnormal and difficult for everybody else. Maybe it's hospitality. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's just having courage and faith in the midst of a difficult situation. Whatever it is, you have something. I think about something like the fight for racial justice, right? You have a voice. Use it. All you have to do, you don't even have to say anything totally risky and radical. Honestly, one of the most powerful things that you can do is you can acknowledge. You can acknowledge what someone else or what an entire people group has gone through. You are a child of God. You, have, you are a son or daughter of the king. You have all the riches and the resources of heaven behind you okay but here's what happens sometimes we see these problems and they're huge problems and we find ourselves believing this right we can find ourselves believing when it comes to solving the problems of the world or bringing heaven to earth that we still need everything we don't have anything yet that we still need everything but what acts chapter 3 tells us is instead in reality we have everything that we need we have everything that we need because we have these words we have this risen savior jesus christ of nazareth in our side and you might wonder how is this possible well, i didn't give you the first half of acts 1 8 this is what jesus says this is where jesus begins when he decides 
to appear to his disciples. Again, who are cowering in fear behind a locked door, from the, hiding from the authorities. Right? But you will receive power. Everybody say power. Oh, come on. Say it like you got it. Come on. You have power. Everybody say power. You have power. The things in this world that break your heart, you have power to overcome them. And of course, to make the point, especially since we had a car show here yesterday, I wanted to get in my dad's 66 Mustang right there, and I wanted to just stand it up here and rev the engine and feel the thunder, right? The power. Because I wanted you to understand, this, this is who you are. You are not a smart car, okay? You can say that, remind each other that on the way home today. You are not a smart car. Beep, 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 beep. No, no. You are a wild stallion when it comes to the power and the authority and the adventure that God has for all of us. And men especially, our whole men's ministry is about helping guys discover this, right? That, that marriage can be incredibly challenging, but it can also be one of the greatest adventures that you could ever imagine. Right? That being a dad, it is not for the faint of heart. I can tell you. I can just tell you stories this week that about broke me being a parent. But it's incredible. And you have those moments to remember it. And I pray this weekend that you get a little glimpse of that. Because you have been created with power, it says in Acts 1.8, to make a difference when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the Holy Spirit uh, comes upon us in baptism. It comes upon us when we ask for it. So you might be sitting here today saying, okay, great, great, Pastor Andy, thanks for pumping me up. And tell me, now you added to my to-do list this week, which was already long, the fact that I'm supposed to help heaven make its way to earth. Cool, how do I do that, Pastor Andy? I, I can do it in seven words with you. And I can give you seven words that are going to help you with this. Think about this, when you see the need this week, these are the seven words I know that have the power to change someone's life. I dare you this week. To say these words out loud to another human being. Can I pray for you? Don't forget the last two. Right now. I dare you. And see what happens. Right? I will never forget the first time that my dad handed me the keys to his Mustang. I was 16. I'm not even sure that was a good idea. And I started that car up and I felt the power. And it was, it was incredible. Right? There was something that just felt so good. I'm here to tell you today as well. I went a long time as a Christian before I prayed for anybody else out loud. And by the way, I know that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is Lutheran. Okay? I know that. I know that some of you are like, you want me to put my hand on someone's shoulder? With permission, by the way. You don't just start touching people. COVID is a thing, people. Okay? No, but you, you're saying, you want me to do what? Right? So one of the coolest things about our men's ministry is we have a men's text thread. Every week I send out a text that's got a, an announcement, a reminder, an encouragement. Something that we need as men to stay filled with hope so we can be the people that God has created us to be. And one of the coolest things about that is that guys text me back their prayer requests. And so I pray for them every week via text. Right? If that's you, you can be 250 miles away from someone and you can still pray for them. Right? If we've learned nothing else this year, it doesn't, we don't have to be together in the same room to be family and to be the church. Right? God has so much more. This is your challenge. I will never forget the way I felt the first time I prayed for someone. And it worked. And it helped. Honestly, I would call it an addiction these days. Being used, watching my needs, and, and actually the world's needs, and my gifts. Right? Some of these things even I, did not, I could not stand about myself growing up. Right? Like my weird thing to get emotional watching movies sometimes. Like that's... Right? I hated that about myself. And now I understand that compassion 
is a huge gift that God has given me to minister to other people. And so there are the seven words. I want to close today with two other things that might get in the way of us being the church and bringing heaven to earth. And one of them is just that we allow the story to become normal for us. This is, this is what uh, an Episcopal priest, Robert Capone, said. It's from a book called Dangerous Wonder. And by the way, when I say dangerous, I don't mean like physically dangerous. I don't mean emotionally dangerous. I don't even mean spiritually dangerous, right? If people feel like you're dangerous... In a literal sense, you should probably check yourself and see what's happening. No, what I mean is that perhaps God has called us to be dangerous to the enemies of this world. Things like Alzheimer's, right? Things like racism, things like hunger. This is what he says. We're in a war between dullness and astonishment. And he goes on to say, the most critical issue facing Christians today is not abortion, pornography, the disintegration of the family, moral absolutes, MTV, it was written a few years ago, drugs, racism, sexuality, or school prayer. No, he says the critical issue today is dullness, right? We don't understand who we are. We're walking around like smart cars. He says we have lost our astonishment. The good news is no longer good news. It is merely okay news. Jesus is no longer life enhancing. He's merely, he's no longer life changing. He's merely life enhancing. Jesus doesn't change people into wild-eyed radicals anymore. Instead, he changes them into nice people. He goes on to say, if Christianity is simply about being nice, then I'm not interested. And then he asks a series of really great questions, questions we should think about today. What happened to radical Christianity? The unnice brand of Christianity that turned the world upside down. What happened to the category-smashing, life-threatening, anti-institutional gospel that spread through the first century like wildfire and was considered by those in power who want to hurt us dangerous? What happened to the kind of Christians whose hearts were on fire, who had no fear, who spoke the truth no matter the consequence, who made the world uncomfortable and were willing to follow Jesus wherever he went? What happened to the kind of Christians who were filled with passion and gratitude and every day were unable to get over the grace of God? I'm ready for Christianity that ruins my life, he says, that captures my heart, that makes me uncomfortable. I want to be filled with an astonishment which is so captivating that I'm considered wild and unpredictable in the best possible way, I would add, and well, dangerous. Yes, I want to be dangerous to a dull and boring religion. I want to be considered having a faith that is dangerous by a predictable and monotonous culture. One of the things that can get in the way of us bringing heaven to earth is that we'll lose our focus, right? We'll lose our sense of who we are and who God is. I think one of the other things is just simply our understanding of church. What is church? What does it mean to be church? And so as we think about this and what this means for you, I want to close with just a video illustration that just clarifies who you really are and who God has created the church, the global church to be. It may not be what you think. Let's take a look. Lately, it seems that we are getting more and more confused about what a church actually is. So let's take some time to set the record straight. Church is not a building, though a building can be used by a church. Church is not a denomination, though a set of beliefs should be important to a church. Church is not about Sunday, though a church should not forsake meeting together. Church is not about one person or personality, though every church should be pastored. And church is not about size or growth 
though every church is called to make disciples. So don't think of church as an address or a location, but rather think of church as mobile and on the move. Don't think of church as something built or planted, but rather think of church as something deployed. Don't think of church as where you are for an hour each week, but rather what you are every day of the week, because the church is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Feet shouldn't sit still. Hands shouldn't be idle. Feet go. Hands do. This is the church. Church isn't what you're sitting through right now, because you are the church. Now go and be the church. And so what is it that God wants to do through you this week as an individual, but it also as part of this larger church? What does it look like for you wherever you are to bring heaven to earth? What does it look like for you to have the courage to say to somebody, can I pray for you right now? And for some of us, the beginning of this whole thing, right, is just maybe even allowing someone to pray for us. I'm so excited that we have prayer partners that will be available after the service today. And with that, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love and grace. God, thank you for the fact that you, you've not given us a spirit of fear. We're not timid souls. God, you, you've created us to live with this Holy Spirit, with this resurrection power. God, you've created us to bring heaven to earth. And so whatever that looks like, wherever we find ourselves this week, God, I pray that you would open our eyes, not only to see the need, but also to have the courage to try by your help, to meet the need. So whatever it is that we have on our shoulders today, God, whether it's through prayer partners after the service, God, whether it's as we sing this worship song we're about to sing, God, would you free us up? Would you remind us how much you love us? God, as the dad of all dads, that you cannot stop thinking about us. And would you send us out into this world to make a difference in the name of Jesus Christ? God, we give this week, this month, and these years ahead to you and ask, God, that you would use us to be incredible force for your mission and your cause. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.